0: Good morning. I'm sure you guys are all on your edges of seat thinking about having firestone pizza. We're going to burn some tires in my yard and cook pizza over the black smoke. It'll be delicious. But we would love for you to come, so uh, it would be great. Uh, For those who don't know, I am Pastor Doug, and my wife is Meg, and that's who she's our. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, uh, if you've been here for the last few weeks, uh, you probably have... Noticed that I've been I, I was a little bit under the weather, but part of it was I had like this weird cold, but it mostly was in my throat and I I was afraid of losing my voice. So for the last two weeks I haven't been singing because I was afraid if I sang yeah. I wouldn't have anything left. And I discovered that worship is a lot better when you sing along. Yeah. So my encouragement to you is even if you don't think you have a great voice Uh, You're going to find worship to be much more compelling if you sing along. So it was nice this Sunday to actually be able to uh, join in and sing with you. I missed you the last couple of weeks. You wouldn't think it would make that much of a difference, but it makes a big difference. So participate in worship. That's not in my notes anywhere, but that's my encouragement for today. Hey, um, I had this opportunity this week to travel. uh, And when I got to where I was going, I got to spend some time with some friends that I, some of them I haven't seen uh, really since pre pandemic. And it was just great. I had some great conversations about our own spiritual journey and what God was doing. But one of my friends asked me this question, and the question's going to come up on the screen, but he said, Where are you? being challenged or convicted by the word of god these days. And I just want to ask you the same question. Just to sit with that question for just a minute. Where are you being challenged or convicted by the word of god in the last few weeks, last few days, maybe in the last few minutes? And just as importantly, how have you responded? right? Because it's not enough just to feel the conviction. It's not enough to have a moment with the word of God and then let it go. But we're told that we're not supposed to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So have you responded in obedience? Is God still calling you to do something or maybe stop doing something? Our mission statement here at Grace is what? We try to live like Jesus. One more time. We are And that idea of living like Jesus is a lifelong process. You will not arrive this side of heaven, but we are to be growing in the way we think. We're going to be, we want to think more like Jesus. We want to love more like Jesus. We want to serve more like Jesus. And our lives ought to reflect the person of Jesus more and more and more as we grow and as we mature as followers of Christ. It's the idea of spiritual maturity. But here's the deal. Uh, It's important, you know, like you can't make spiritual maturity happen. Like it's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life, but you can short circuit the process of what God is doing in your life. There's like this tension that exists between what's God's part in my spiritual development and what's my part in the spiritual development. But I want you to hear this morning is both play a part and i would put it this way you got to show up if you want to grow up you got to show up if you really want to grow up the bible the new testament is full of passages that talk about uh, you know running the race walk the walk pay close attention to how you live actually it says to work out not work for but work out your identity as a child of the most high god so we have all this opportunity to show up so why am i telling you all this because one of the primary ways in which God is going to challenge you or illuminate opportunities for you to grow is through the Word of God. So every time we read the Scriptures, every time you read the Scriptures, every time you're turning on your radio or, or listening to a podcast and somebody is reading the Word of God to you, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to speak. To you, to speak words of encouragement where encouragement is necessary, to speak words of conviction where conviction is necessary. But the word of God is alive, it's active, and you need to approach it with a high level of expectation that God wants to speak through his word to you personally. And here's the deal the book of Revelation is no different, it's a letter written to seven actual historical churches full of actual people, right? And, And the interesting thing is when we look at those seven letters, Basically, we have people from every spectrum of the spiritual journey. You have people who are sold out for Jesus and they're gonna go and get fed to the lions and and represent Jesus to the very end. We got people who are worshiping idols. We got people who are caught up in in sin patterns. We got people who, the the letters say they're lukewarm. They're a little bit in and they're a little bit out and they're in in desperate place for Jesus, threatening to spit them out of the mouth. Why am I saying all this? Because no matter where you are, in your spiritual journey, you are represented by the people who the letter is written to in those seven churches. That's the beauty of those seven letters is it just covers this wide spectrum, right? And so wherever you are, you fit. But the rest of the letter of Revelation was written to those individuals wherever they were on the spiritual journey, there was application for them along the way, Okay, so that's what we have in Revelation. So grab your Bibles and open to Revelation chapter 17. Uh, If you're using the Bible under your seat, we're on page 1037. If you're using your journal, which I hope you're still bringing your journal. I hope you've been taking notes in your journal. We are on page 60. If you don't own a Bible, just want to encourage you to keep the one that's under your seat is a gift from us. If you are online right now, thank you for joining us. And you don't own a Bible, you come by the church anytime that we're here. We would love to give you a Bible of your own. Uh, have a Bible in front of you. Bring your Bible with you. I know I say it every week. Take notes, underline, write in the margins of your Bible, interact with the Word of God. I have asked my friend Dwayne Bird to come up. Dwayne also is one of our keyboard players, incredibly gifted. Uh, Dwayne, Yeah. Dwayne is going to read for us, and as he gets ready to read, I just want to kind of encourage you again, ask the Lord to speak to you, and the question is, what does a prostitute, a beast, an ancient city of Babylon have to do with you and I in the 21st century? Let's read.
1: Won't you stand with me? Revelation 17, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great. "'mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. "'And I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints, "'the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. "'When I saw her, I marveled greatly, "'but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? "'I will tell you the mystery of the woman "'and of the beast with seven heads "'and ten horns that carries her. "'The beast that you saw was and is not "'and is about to rise from the bottomless pit "'and go to destruction.' And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he does come, he will remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They'll make war on the Lamb. And the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, and peoples and multitudes, are the peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to spend another morning together in the book of Revelation. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive. Thank you that it is active. Thank you that it is able to do deep surgery. I pray this morning that you would speak to each person in this room, that you would speak to each person on this broadcast, that they would have a personal moment with you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, keep your Bibles open to chapter 17. I'm going to kind of move around through it and kind of set some things up. But I don't know about you, uh, but when I sat down to study this, uh, and I just do what I always do each week, is just start by just reading the passage. And I got done reading 17, and my response was... Huh? Right? I mean, there's a lot in here. It's just, it's hard. It's hard to read it. It's hard to to really grasp what's going on if you don't slow down a little bit and take it all in. And, and, And the problem is there is so much imagery. There's so much going on that it's just... It's confusing to look at, and I did this a few weeks ago. But the truth of the matter is, if you have a key in mind, and by key I mean like that key that we would use to read a map, if you have a key in mind, suddenly you can read Revelation, and things begin to make a lot more sense. So I just found a very simple key, so that you know what I'm talking about. But but once we have a key, then the images of the map begin to make a lot more sense. This is true if you're reading a complicated chart. You can apply this in all kinds of places. But so. have these two little lines. It means a bridge. And without a key, you might mistake this for those emojis. It means something else, but they're actually mountains, right? And we have railroad tracks, right? So so the key helps us to read the map. So what I'm going to do for the next few minutes is I'm going to give you the key again for reading and understanding chapter 17. And as we unpack the key, then I'm going to finish this morning with giving you what I think the application for us as a church is this morning. So we have a, a, the, one of the seven angels who had poured out the bowls, which is what we studied last week. One of those angels shows up to John and basically what he, the angel is doing is the angel is saying, I'm going to give you a deeper understanding. I'm going to give you another vision that's going to help to explain the bowls that you just heard about. So we have deeper meaning, deeper understanding of the seals and the trumpets and the bulls in these particular visions that John, that we just read about in chapter 17. So it says that John is, is given these visions and he sees a great prostitute. First key, prostitute. When the first century church read that, they would have been thinking of the city of Rome. Right, So the prostitute is the city of Rome. And we also see in this particular chapter a few references to the city of Babylon. Those are interchangeable in a way. So even when they heard Babylon, they would have been thinking of Rome. When they heard prostitute, they would have been thinking of Rome. And for us, this prostitute is is a major city or a major power of corruption, opulence, and sinful living. We see this throughout the scriptures where, where cities are referred to as Babylon and as, as the prostitute. Even Jerusalem itself by Ezekiel is, is called the prostitute. Okay, So the first key, the prostitute for the first century readers is the city of Rome, Babylon, city of Rome, major city of influence. In power. The beast, we see the, the prostitute riding on the beast. Well, the beast is the Roman Empire. For the first century reader, zero doubt that as they were reading this prophecy, that they were thinking of the, the Roman Empire whenever they read about the beast. So the beast rises up It comes to world power, right? It opposes the ways of God. Right, and, and so what we see, so think about the book of Daniel. Daniel is another apocalyptic literature, and it talks about the four beasts. The four beasts are world powers, the Persian Empire, you know, the Babylonian Empire, the Greek Empire, and finally the fourth beast is a Roman Empire. Over the course of human existence, powers have risen up, world powers have risen up. They oppose God for a season. Then those powers are judged by God, right? And they're brought to ruin. And we even see in this passage a couple of times where it talks about they, that the beast was, and then the beast was not, and then the beast came again right? And it's this picture of the world powers that that, that rise up and are opposed to the things of God. So the prostitute is the city of Rome. The beast is the Roman empire. And then look at verse three. It says that the beast has seven heads and 10 horns. The heads here for the first century church are the emperors from Julius Caesar, Claudius, Nero, Augustus, And all of the others, remember seven is not necessarily a static number. It means all, it means complete. So it's all of the emperors, right? So that's the heads. And then the horns, and and they even explain this, the angel explains this later in chapter 17, are the kings of the providence outside of the Roman empire. Those who are given power by the beast to rule over the people. But the kings uh, pledge their allegiance to the beast, right? And they, they worship the beast and they get their power from the beast. Okay, another important observation in this passage. There's all this talk of sexual immorality. There's this talk of this prostitute. There's even talk of being drunk. And what you need to know is this is not necessarily about sexual immorality Per se it's an illusion to being or not an illusion. it's an illustration of being unfaithful to God himself. We see this throughout the Old Testament. When the people would move away from God and they would worship other gods or they would give their allegiance to anything other than God, then they were prostituting themselves, whatever they were putting their allegiance to becomes the prostitute. You see because they're unfaithful to their true love which is God. So this isn't about a person. This isn't an actual woman. Uh, Rome is the city of power and Rome is the prostitute that the people are going towards in order to draw wealth and power and all that comes with it. All right. Here's what I want you to hear. While it's not about sexual immorality per se, sexual immorality is a part of the culture. And here's the reason why. Anytime a culture moves away from God, anytime a culture worships the things that are made instead of the one who made those things, sexual immorality will be rampant. It's Romans. Romans tells us this, that as soon as a people lose, that there is a God design, that there is a God purpose, that they will always become depraved and sexual depravity will become a part of that society. So what we're reading isn't necessarily referring to sexual perversion, but sexual perversion is a key indicator of the unfaithfulness of the people, there's probably some modern day application for us in this one. All right. So look at verse four. It says the woman, we know the woman who the prostitute Rome is arrayed in purple and scarlet. I'm still giving you the key. It's going to keep coming up on the screen. Purple is a sign of power. It's a sign of royalty. Scarlet is a sign of wealth. Right, It's not an actual woman, but for the seven churches, the prostitute is Rome, where they would pledge their allegiance to Rome, and they would be seduced by power and by wealth. And for us, the application is the prostitute is anything in our lives that competes for our allegiance to God himself. Look at the last part of verse 9, beginning of verse 10. It says, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. Verse 10 says the seven heads are the seven kings. Remember, seven is not a static number. It just means all of the kings, it's the rulers. Verse 9 says it's the seven hills. And one of the things this does is it helps to understand that in Revelation, these images are what I would call often flexible. There's sort of a fluidity to them. Well, sometimes that image means this, and sometimes that image means that. And here we have in the very same vision, the very same thing means two different things. One is that it's the seven kings, and it's the seven hills. And here's what's fascinating. The city of Rome was called the city established on seven hills. This is actually a first century coin from the very time of the writing of Revelation. Here we have a woman who's sitting on seven hills and it's Rome. This is the spelling of Rome, which by the way, spelled backward is the word love. Right there is this like attraction this 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 false love of the city of Rome but but think about it you're a first century reader you're reading this you would have known right away the woman sitting on the I mean it's literally on your coin right you would have known they were talking about the city of Rome the beast the prostitute the kings it says makes war against the lamb how do they make war by seducing the people by drawing the people away from the lamb, drawing people away from the love and the, and the power that comes by being followers of Jesus. But it says in the end, the lamb will conquer them. As we've been saying for the last several weeks, the good news is Jesus wins. Yeah, but in the meantime, people are seduced. In the meantime, people are drawn away from the person and the power of Jesus. Chapter 17 tells us that in time, the beast and the kings will turn on the prostitute. History tells us that it was the very, the very uh, military powers of the Romans. So the Romans established these providences with kings. They put, put armies out there. They built this military force. It was the Roman military force that turned eventually on Rome and destroyed the city of Rome, a fulfillment of the very prophecy that we just read. Look again at verse 4. The prostitute is holding in her hand a golden cup. I want you to just see this for a minute. It's beautiful, right? It's, it's shiny. It's attractive. It's pleasing to the eye, right? The prostitute is holding a golden cup, but look what's inside of it. It's full of abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. Many times the things of this world look pretty shiny, right? They look really attractive, From the outside, it looks really good, but that thing is often full. Anything that goes cross purposes to God, it is going to be full of bitterness and bondage and ruin, right? Anything that we move to for temporary pleasure instead of God is going to become the very thing that devours us. One more important key, and then I'm going to get to the application for this morning. Babylon. Babylon is every city, every, every world power that has set itself up against the movement of God over and over in the Old Testament. Cities, uh, the, 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 the powerful political forces are referred to as the Babylon of their day. I love this. One of the commentaries I read this week said, Babylon represents the dead-end street of humanity's attempt to build their culture apart from God. Does this sound a little bit like where we live today? Right? Babylon is and represents any dead-end street of humanity's attempt to build their culture apart from God. Babylon is all around us. So what? What does a prostitute, a beast, heads, horns, Babylon have to do with you and me? And the answer is everything. There is this reoccurring thread. It's a storyline that runs throughout the scriptures. And the story goes something like this. God promises a person or a people group something amazing. God promised to do something through them. God promised it to do something for them. God promises a person or a people group something incredible. And as soon as God promises it, he says, but I want you to wait for it. He says, this is the promise and it's a good thing, but you gotta wait for it. In the season of waiting, I want you to exercise faith and I want you to exercise your hope and I want you to wait for it to come by my hand, right? But over and over, we see in the scriptures that the one who is promised or even the people who are given the promise take matters into their own hands and they try to find a shortcut to get to the promise that God has made. Perfect example is Abraham. Abraham is promised an heir. He's promised that not just an heir, but that that his, his people will be more than the stars, and he's promised this incredible heritage. He's promised to be the father of nations. That's the promise. It's a good promise, but it takes longer and he wants it to take. And so what does Abraham do? He takes Hagar, right? He takes a maidservant to produce an heir. And we're still paying for that today, yes. right? So there is this picture of a promise and then someone trying to short circuit or to take the shortcut to receive the promise. Think about Moses. There's no question that at some point in Moses' upbringing, he begins to feel a sense that he is called to fight for and liberate his people. So what does he do? He takes matters into his own hand and he kills an Egyptian guard and he goes on the run for another 40 years. Think about Joseph. Joseph has this prophetic dream, a promise that he will one day rule over his own brother's And his own father. But in his immaturity, he goes and he brags over them, right? And creates all kinds of problems in the family dynamic. And here's the deal. As soon as the promise is given, Satan will want to steal the promise. Why? Because God originates. Remember this? God originates and Satan imitates. This is the story of the scripture. The promise is given, and Satan says, I'm not going to let the promise happen. I'm going to do everything I can to steal the promise away. This is the journey of Jesus. Do you remember the story of Jesus when Jesus has that moment where he's baptized and the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove? And then it says in the scripture that he was immediately led to the wilderness. Why? To be tempted. What was the temptation? The temptation was a shortcut right? God had promised a certain fulfillment through the person of Jesus. And Satan comes and says, you don't have to wait. Just worship me. I can give you all of that stuff now. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do the hard stuff. Just take the shortcut, man. It's better. It's quicker, right? But we know the story Jesus didn't. Thanks be to God. Right? But that's the story that plays out. And here's the application. It is easier to know the promises of God than to know when it will happen. It is easier to know what the promise is. It's easier to receive the promise than it is to know when God wants it to happen. As a matter of fact, the promise is the easy part. Like the promise is fun. Like it's glorious. God says, hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm pretty sure Abraham's like, cool, I'll take it. It's the waiting that's excruciating, right? It's the waiting that that forges our faith, right? But that's the point, that God wants to do something in the waiting to to, to create the character that can carry the promise that's being offered. This is, Biblical principle applies to any personal promises. If God has promised you something individually, this applies. Like don't take matters into your own hand. Wait for, for God. Wait for God to do it. But it also applies to the corporate promise of God. What has God promised us in Christ? He promised us that, that in time that we would literally live with God that God would be in with us that God would be so close to us that we would have this intimate relationship with the one who loves us more than we can even think or imagine we would have this intimacy that anything you experience this side of heaven is just a, a small taste of the intimacy and the love that is promised with Jesus in eternity you love your kids and I, I was sitting in here, and my grandkids came running in and jumped on out. I, I don't know that I could love them anymore. And it's just a taste of the love and the intimacy of the Father that we will have in eternity. That's a promise. That's a good promise. Right? Look at this. We're also promised that, that we will reign and rule as sons and daughters, as co-heirs with Christ in eternity, right? And Satan says, no, you don't have to wait. You can reign and rule now. You don't have to wait. There's all kinds of places out there where you can get love and feel accepted, right? And they're all an illusion and they're all a shortcut for the very thing that's promised in scripture. There is a longing in our soul for the fulfillment of that promise. And the only place to take the longing is back to the father. And if we go to anything other than the father, that's the prostitute. That's the Babylon. It's amazing when you go back and you read the letter of Revelation, how many times it says, this letter is a call for endurance of the saints. This letter is written to tell you to wait for the promises of God. Don't take matters into your own hand. Don't try to take any shortcuts. I think it's fascinating that the word wait and the word trust and the Hebrew are the same word. So when we have this Hebrew word, it's often translated wait. It's often translated trust. So uh, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles. You know that passage. It's also sometimes translated those who trust in the Lord. Waiting and trusting. That's what God's doing in, in that season of waiting for the promise. He's forging our faith. He's teaching us. A few minutes ago I said that Babylon is all around us in our culture, in our American culture, Babylon is all around us. But can I tell you this morning that Babylon is in us as well. Beware of the Babylon within you. Anything that competes for your allegiance to God is Babylon. So my friend, as I traveled this week and I sat and had that great conversation. Where are you being challenged by the word of God? And my response was chapter 17 of Revelation. Because as I studied and thought about it, I began to see my own inner Babylon. And I began to think to myself, like, really? After I've come this far with Jesus, like, like really? I still have places in my heart, places in my life where I am grasping for something Other than Jesus. What about you? What's competing for your allegiance? What do you need to let go of so you can take hold of all Jesus is offering? There is a great promise that's given to us if we endure If we wait, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these crazy chapters, beasts and prostitutes and hills and it's, man. But I'm grateful that as we sit and as we ask your Holy Spirit for revelation, that you always bring it back to your desire for more intimacy with us. Your desire that we would be a representation of the living God that we would receive the love that you have for us and that we would extend that love to others. Thank you for the book of Revelation. Thank you for the promise of Revelation. I sat last night in my living room and just read the last couple chapters and it's a good promise the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. You're going to wipe away every tear from our eye. I don't even have categories to understand all that, but I can tell it's good. Help us to hold on to that promise. Help us to remain faithful. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. When they prayed for you this morning, They heard a few things, let me just share with you what they heard. The Lord is breaking down some large walls and some lies that people are believing. Someone is dealing with headaches and related to spinal issues. Uh, It's interesting we heard headaches in the first service as well. Uh, Someone is carrying a heavy load, the Lord wants to help you to lay it down. And the word anxiety came up in both of the services. So if you're dealing with some anxious thoughts or have some level of anxiety and just want somebody to pray for you, that would be great. There's a couple numbers on your screen that you can call. They'll put you into a private Zoom room. If you're here in the building, you can just come on down. There's people who are trained. They'll meet you uh, down front and pray for you. If you have a spiritual need, physical need, maybe a little bit of both, we would love to have the opportunity just to lay hands on you. If you already know what your Babylon is and you just want to come down and have somebody to pray uh, for that to be released, we would love to do that with you and for you. Uh, Next week is Mother's Day. Yeah, go moms. So bring your family, bring your moms, and we will celebrate moms together next week. God bless you.